listening to the Inside Job Making CX Work podcast, where we share how you can make customer experience transformation a reality. All right, welcome back to Inside Job Making CX Work. I am Jose Fabrion, I'm your, your host of this podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Pete Stein and Jen Gray. And today, we're really going to be covering uh, really what is the future of digital experience. We know that with the pandemic and kind of the all the work that has been done in terms of different companies really investing in their digital experiences, we've made a lot of progress in the last year from a digital experience perspective. But really, where is this headed? Where are we going with this? And I'm really thrilled to be joined uh, by our guests today. So if you guys wouldn't mind, uh, Pete, would you mind giving us a little bit of a, a background on yourself? And then we'll, we'll move over to Jen. Sure thing. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Pete Stein, Head of Experience and Commerce at Merkle. Uh, somewhat new here, been here for six months, uh, but have spent my career since the, the mid-90s in the digital world. Uh, excited for this conversation. Thanks. We're thrilled to have you, Pete. Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Jen Gray, and I head up the creative and UX teams for the promotion and loyalty business at Merkle. I have been here for 15 years and um, have a background in engagement and content production from TV to uh, web production. So this is exciting. Thanks, Jose. All right. So I think that you know one of the first questions that that makes sense, I think, today is really we've had all this progress in digital experience. We've seen it from the inside. Companies have been working very hard to connect their experiences. They've been investing in marketing technology. They've been investing in organizing around this, these new capabilities. But the first question is really, where is digital experience headed? Like, where, where is it going now? Yeah, I can, I'll jump in there and then, and then Jen can, can add. Uh, look, I think when, you know, when I started in this business in the 90s, a lot of what we were doing in, in building the, some of the first websites was helping companies to get all their information out there, right? And, and we, we realized pretty quickly that most companies were putting their org structure onto their websites. And our job was to understand the, the customer and the customer needs and start to reflect the, those through the experiences that we created. And in many ways, that is still the challenge is... is helping businesses to make sure that they are taking a customer first approach. So I would say that is kind of the tried and true thing of digital experience that will continue. Something that's somewhat new, we've certainly been trying to do it for a while, but is is definitely becoming more real is the ability to leverage customer data, you know, what everything you know about your customers whether you know it explicitly or implicitly um to tailor the experience around that, right? And to try to be predictive about what you think that customer needs in that moment. Um, and, and using that to help, us, uh, help tell a story about your connection with the customer. And then I would say, you know, one other thing worth mentioning is we're, we're starting to move away from the web page, right? And it's a, it's a slow journey. Um, but I do think it will pick up speed with 5G. Uh, and that means designing experiences across all of these touch points 
um, to make them as seamless, seamless as possible and making sure that while the, the web may continue to be and the browser will continue to be an anchor for that experience, it, it's not the only part, certainly. And I think we've seen that you know, we're going to really see that with retail as re the role of the store evolves quite a bit. I think, um, you know, it was, it was a place where, um, you stored your inventory and it was a place customers could go to grab that inventory. I think it's going to be much more of a, a place for, um, entertainment where the, the, um, the, the good may actually get delivered to their home. Uh, they may not actually pick it up in that spot. And so anyhow, you know, I guess my point is broadly, I think thinking about that customer experience taking place across lots of different touch points uh, is a really important trend. Thanks, Pete. So if I, if I could kind of summarize that, we've gone this evolution really from designing our digital presence, if you will, um, mirrored on our organizational structure. Now, it's really important that that companies not do that so much, that they start to focus on the customer needs, the experiences that need to be considered, what the mindset is, so that when customers or prospects uh, hit our kind of digital presences, we're able to really personalize in the moment wherever that is. And that there's a bunch of new technology that, or maybe not so new, but that we can start to, that will start to evolve where and how we meet those different customers. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, good summary. Cool. Um, Jen? I, I would add to that, um, you know, I think what Pete said is, you know, to, to move beyond the utility. And I've also been, you know, doing this since the 90s. And it's always been on the quest of how we add that emotion to the brand. Um, and, you know, I think it's important for brands just to get out there and test and learn and experiment um, with different things, because it can be potentially daunting to try different technologies and different engagements. But one example I've seen lately, which um, is with Ikea, and they've been doing a really great job. I've seen three very different executions in my inbox in the last probably two months. Um, first, they launched an AR Snapchat escape room game for their Ikea family members. Um, and then they quickly followed up with uh, an execution for International Women's Day, where they sponsored a live stream concert on YouTube with a Swedish pop artist. And, you know, they had people sign up to show their interest and come attend. So it really pulled in that core brand value of supporting women. And then... Um, their coveted spring catalog just came out, and uh, about two weeks ago, they launched a full audiobook of their spring catalog. So it's 13 chapters, and I've uh, seen it. On, it's available on YouTube, Spotify, and audiobooks.com. So three very different things, but it shows that they're really forward-thinking, and they're trying to experiment with what resonates with their audience and kind of to have fun and extend their brand experience beyond the store. So it's pretty, pretty neat to see that they're doing that. that. That's a great example. And really what I'm hearing is like beyond the kind of transactional style that a lot of digital experiences are really bringing that brand forward, being in the now, being in the moment in the culture and kind of bringing that out as, as your customers, as your prospects are really in those same moments. Absolutely. Great. That's a great example. Um, okay. So cool. Let's, let's think about it. So, so I am less, I don't know a ton about this, but I'm going to ask you, you know, so I'm, I, I keep hearing much more about 
social commerce and and that seems to be coming more prominent what what is it and you know wh- where do you think it's 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 going there yeah i'll get us started and then jen can jump in so on social commerce um first first i guess let's to your point let's define it i i think it's i i define it as basically being able to execute a purchase on a social platform or that purchase being one click away which is most often the case these days in the US um you know and, and then just in terms of sizing uh e-commerce this year was 4% of or sorry social commerce was 4% of e-commerce um it grew pretty substantially over the past year um and if you look at China you know social commerce has been at the core uh, it's about ten times the size uh, uh, of what it is in the U.S., and so that has really been it's it you know it's been normalized in in China. It's it's the way that people do a lot of their shopping, and so uh, they've been way ahead of us. The U.S. is starting to pick up. Uh, you know, my read is this that it's going to you know it's it, the U- us consumer just hasn't been in the mode of um purchasing with their through their phone um you know 5 years ago say they started that that's obviously has shifted quite a bit where consumers are very comfortable buying on their phone and now i think as the offerings mature within social commerce and and all of the platforms are focused on that obviously instagram and pinterest are in the lead but um Facebook and and Snapchat are certainly focused there as well as YouTube, whether or not you count that as a social platform. Um, So all of the platforms are moving in that direction. And, you know, I think what's interesting is today with with the third party cookie going away and with IDFA, uh, you know, the inability to track at the device level it means that the ecosystems of you know Facebook, Instagram, um, Amazon, Apple, or, or uh, Google are all more. They have more power, right? Because they have they understand a lot about the customers on their platforms or within their ecosystems, and they can that data is only going to be used within those ecosystems. And so, <clears throat> I think that's going to incentivize. Uh, Facebook and Instagram in particular, probably, but Snapchat as well, to continue to push social commerce because they want to have a full view of that customer experience uh, or, or that customer journey all the way to transaction. Whereas, you know, Amazon is the one that has mo- most of that now. So I do think, I think that you've got this, um, this confluence of things happening where the consumer is getting, you know, people, uh, let's call them people, are getting more comfortable. Uh, buying on social, it's becoming a normal, more normalized behavior. And then there's a lot of motivation for the platforms to do it. So I do think we're, it's going to be a trend that will continue to grow pretty quickly. That That's really interesting, Pete. And so first off, I learned, so I'll, I'll ask a question that may be kind of uh, basic or obvious, but so, you know, what I see is you see the, the, obviously the growth of Amazon, you know, kind of, duh, but you've also got Walmart and others building these, these marketplaces. Do you see social commerce really being kind of brand by brand, meaning kind of build it in your own kind of uh, channels and things like that? Or do you see it more evolving into a larger corporate marketplace uh, inside of these walled gardens? I think that most of the transactions will happen within the large walled gardens. Um, I do. But I, but I do think all brands, you know, all, all consumer brands are going to lean in and learn how to get more effective at social commerce, I think as a lot of brands that had not sold direct in the past 
um, and had sold only through retailers will are learning how to go direct to consumer. So I do think as they evolve their offerings and look at new models of selling that that social will be an important part of that mix. Cool. Thank you. I, I, thank you. I, I learned a lot there. All right. So again, going back to the last year, we had you know, a huge uh, amount of e-commerce growth. I think it was something like 10 years and six months or something like that. I forget the actual stat on that. But you know, do you think that growth has pushed uh, technologies like augmented reality and, and voice to the forefront? And if so, you know, are they are they are they usable? I mean, are they are they? I mean, I remember like not to speak all '90s, but you know, um, uh, real audio and stuff like that years ago with your streaming and stuff like that. It was a great idea. It just didn't work in reality um, until the bandwidth was there. Like, do we are we there yet with some of these technologies? You know, I think overall, just our digital maturity has changed now that we've all been at home. And that's the way that we're communicating and buying things. And um, but I think particularly on kind of the AR and voice um, aspect, as far as voice goes, you know, our behavior has changed. We, you know, before the pandemic, um, you know, we were primarily using voice and smart speakers in the morning and in the evening. But as I mentioned, since we're all home, our kids are doing school at home. Really, we've seen that usage kind of even out across the day, but it's still primarily for utility. People are using it for information, news, weather, you know, to control the lights in our house, music, that type of thing. Um, you know, I think commerce on voice, what we've seen in the industry is that it's still really for perhaps recurring orders, but there, there still is still a utility issue there and perhaps a privacy concern. Um, you know, from my purview, from a marketing perspective uh, and an engagement perspective, um, brands haven't really cracked the code there yet. Um there have been some fun executions and entertainment for kids or, you know, movie or television or entertainment properties extending their experience, but it's still not quite there yet. Okay. And, and then what, what do you, what do you think about I And mean, so what I've, what I've seen in that area, less so on the voice, more on the augmented reality is, is really those technologies being used to support the buying experience. So one of the ones that I'll go to is, you know, uh, in beauty, there are several uh, applications, no pun intended, of skin matching technologies and things like that. Do you do you do you, do you feel like that's driving or, or being uh, is really at, at the point where it's it's helping the customer and, and people are using it? Yeah, I think it definitely extends the brand experience, particularly over the last year where people can't go into a store or experience the brand in real life before they purchase it. You know, you see people trying on glasses or, you know, clothing and that type of thing. Um, people are participating more in that. Um, and I think as technology gets more seamless, um, it'll feel more real in, in those experiences. But we've seen a ton of that experimentation. I mean, before the pandemic, but particularly during, you know, what we're seeing from an AR experience is, again, kind of extending that brand experience um, and that essence of the brand um, for entertainment, you know, some for utility, but really kind of at the point of consumption of a brand, 
we um, we're seeing a surge in producing these AR experiences and the the request from our clients. Um, and what we're you know from a technology standpoint, we are using HTML AR to get people in on a really frictionless, quick, in the moment experience. Um, you know, even from a stats perspective, when we use HTML AR experiences, we see 70% of consumers getting to that experience. And when you have to, the barrier of downloading an app for the first time to reach AR, 5% of the people get there. So but don't get me wrong, you know, like apps are fantastic for those experiences you just mentioned. Um, you know, it provides an opportunity for more robust art and immersive experiences using the, the native features of the phone. But for quick in the moment experiences, we we're using HTML um, AR. I, I love the uh, that notion of extending <clears throat> extending the experience from the point of consumption. I think there's really a lot of t- opportunity there. And I would just add on the on the question on beauty. I was working with a beauty retailer over the past year, and they saw a massive spike in usage of their AR capabilities and was very effective at driving sales. And And the same goes for apparel. I mean, one of the biggest challenges of e-commerce becoming so prominent is that, uh, you know, along with inventory management challenges, which are significant, but just that uh, the return rate goes up so much from single digits up to like 30%. And so, you know, one of the hopes that I have is as AR continues to improve, that it can be used for, as you said, Jose, to try on clothing, right? And get a get a real sense. And just imagine, you know, if a, if a brand knows you and knows your sizing and you're able to t- try something on virtually, um, it's the likelihood that you're going to return is much lower. So I think there's a big opportunity there. Wow. So I, I picked up a few different things there. One is, yes, you have this kind of depth of experience inside of the app, but re- realistically, uh, that is is kind of a you've got somebody who's already immersed in your brand so jen i think what you were saying is using things like uh html ar you're able to kind of bring it to more people more quickly so they can experience that and then pete what i i think what you said to me is kind of or said is is somewhat obvious but also startling to me right which is this idea that as we go into more e-com return rates go up and so uh technologies like ar can can help us help help customers really see themselves uh, in or see those products in their houses or on their faces or whatever it is to reduce those return rates, which is a very real business concern. So I think that's, that's amazing. Hey, and yeah, it's definitely, it's something we're, we're watching very closely. One, one thing that I think is also a technology we didn't talk about um, is VR. And I think VR is one that is such an interesting one because there hasn't been that killer app yet where everyone feels like, okay, I need to go buy this device. And to, to Jen's point on like the the barrier that you have when you have to download an app, there's a, obviously a much bigger barrier when you have to go buy some hardware. Um, but I do think at some point there will be that killer app and we'll all rush out and buy our headsets and that'll be interesting to see how how that starts to get applied yeah that's cool i'm thinking ready player one in my mind i don't know (laughs) you know in addition to retail um you know using we're finding using ar with cpg companies when we talk about 
understanding who your consumers are. You know, CPG companies have a harder time getting at that consumer data. And so, you know, we're coming up with connected packaging strategies for our clients. So, you know, if you're sitting at the breakfast table and you're, you're a mom or a child, you know, that wants to interact with that box while you're eating your, your breakfast cereal, you can, you know, understand who they are when they're eating. Um, you know, you're asking for registration perhaps to play a game. Um, you know, you can ask for to input codes on pack or receipts. So you're starting to understand their purchase behavior. So again, you're not only extending that brand experience from the amazing product that you're consuming, but you're understanding a little bit more about the people who are using your product. So it's really a fun application in, in the moment for consumers. That, that's, that's cool. So what you're saying is you're designing that kind of omni-channel experience to kind of under, better understand the, the, the customer yeah, and is, to, is kind of what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And to fit into the narrative and really kind of add a little magic to that experience. <laughs> All right, we've, we've talked about augmented reality um, and voice, that sort of stuff. How do companies get value out of artificial intelligence and machine learning? We've heard a lot about it. Um, you know, certainly in marketing, we've seen different ap applications. But where are you guys seeing some really big, uh, big value-based uh, usages of these things? Well, yeah, it's a, it, that's a great question, Jose. There, there's been a ton of value. Um, in, in lots of different places, I would say, you know, one industry that has really leaned in pretty heavily is in healthcare, where it's used very effectively for drug discovery and diagnostics um, with super interesting territory that I think will continue to grow. Um, for retail specifically, we're seeing it applied to, you know, inventory management, procurement planning, supply chain optimization. You know, you, ju you just think about the challenge of as the as uh, people are buying products and want it to be available quickly, right? That that challenge of a business now managing that inventory and having it in the right place at the right time is a challenge. And we we saw that with one of our clients in the B two B world. Uh, this is in Europe, a company called Sat Air, which is a subsidiary of Airbus, where they are uh, they supply parts to the uh, airlines. And you know when a, when an airplane is sitting because it, it's missing a, it needs a new part, uh, it costs some, some something on the order of five hundred thousand dollars a day. So a pretty significant business challenge um, and and value that can be created if you can get the right part to the, the right place at the right time. And so what we <clears throat> the other challenge is that you know when you're somebody who is maintaining a plane and working working on it in the hangar, you don't necessarily have a giant catalog of all the parts right in front of you. So the ability to take a picture of a part um, or write a that whatever you think the name is down on a piece of paper and snap that picture and submit it to a um, a machine learning tool and get an answer back within seconds, 99% of the time and get a correct answer back, you know, 82% of the time, I think is where we are right now is pretty incredible. And that's, that's exactly what we built, um, for sad air. And it's, it's had a massive impact, uh, on their business, super positive. And, um, so that's, that's just one example. And, and there we'll see more and more over the coming years. I, I think that's fascinating. I would have never even 
thought of that. I mean, I just being able to identify parts and then pick them to save time. I've actually worked in a parts store. It's hard. <laughs> so I, I, I know, I mean, it takes a lot of memory to realize all, all the parts. So that's, that's, that's really amazing actually. Yeah. That's, I think that's exactly right. Where, where, where you've got just a huge volume of, of data like that, right. Um, it, it's where machine learning can just play, you know, do, do things that we as humans can't and uh, can be a great way to supplement um, the customer experience and, and, and also make, you know, I like this notion of like the super powered associate, right. Who's working in a store, um, and can leverage machine learning to be even, even smarter and more effective in their work as well. Absolutely. And we're, you know, we, we see obviously a lot of machine learning and AI being built into a lot of the platforms that we use, right. To make what was once hard, a lot easier, uh, just in terms of our marketing and supporting that digital experience. So just hearing that we can make these kinds of impacts is is exhilarating. I mean, what what should people do, Pete, in terms of experimenting with uh, AI and machine learning in their marketing? Uh, look, I think the you know I think what you're saying is the key is to um, is to start experimenting, right, and start learning and and to start looking at those places where they've got. Uh, huge volumes of data and complexity where um, machine learning, where, you know, where they as humans can't solve these problems, but machine learning can start to play a role and then just start to test and experiment. And there's a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of great partners out there uh, like Merkle who can, can help clients kind of jump in and, and start figuring out what works for them. You know, we've gone on this evolution. Now we've got these data that are being connected and we can use those to personalize the experiences. You know, it's it's one thing to get kind of basic information, but a lot of businesses really work on this concept of rich data. So think about hair color or some sent, uh, kind of sentiment versus kind of demographic type information. So companies really, you know, to, to really personalize an experience and elevate the digital experience in particular, you know, you're relying on these data that really come from the individuals themselves, what, what Forrester calls zero party data. How do you, how do you design experience where experiences where you get that fair exchange of, of data? Sure. Um, so we, you know, because we're in the promotion and loyalty business, um, you know, we ultimately, ultimately believe that driving that, that loyalty experience across the consumer experience means moving from that segmented base marketing to the one-to-one -one marketing that you're talking about, which is, you know, we have a fundamental need to capture that customer identity. Um, and what we do is we use these branded do-get experiences. They're really, you know, short-term promotions that I was talking about or immersive experiences or these longer-term loyalty programs where we incent that data sharing on an individual level. And it's really about creating a value exchange. You know, I'm a consumer. I give the brand a tidbit of information for a chance to win or a guaranteed reward or just a fun experiences. So, um, you know, we not only know who people are, but collect and enrich their data upon every time they come interact with that brand. And whether it's preference data or lifestyle data behavior or purchase intent. Um, so I, I can give you a couple of examples, Jose. For instance, like for travel brands, we might put quick 
polls or quizzes out there to understand preference of where someone wants to go on vacation. Um, personality quiz for clothing brands to determine your style. You know, we, we all love doing those and they're very shareable on social as well. You know, voting for your favorite flavor of ice cream or cookie or snack. Um, even, you know, retailers asking expected mothers their due dates, you know, for perhaps a chance to win a nursery. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, a couple others are like CPG um, companies. We do receipt upload programs with image recognition. So we understand your purchase behavior and what's in your basket along with that particular product. And then even like loyalty programs where, you know, it's a longer term engagement and we're learning really the utility of your purchase behavior, but we can include preference centers. Um, you know, we were talking about makeup types, your skin colors, types of makeup that you use, occasions in which you use makeup, maybe for a, a high tech brand, kind of the the genre of video games that you play or movies you consume and when. So. There's so much that we can be collecting, but also make it not a utilitarian experience, but a fun engagement for, for that consumer. And they're getting something from it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So I, to summarize what I think you're saying is, hey, look, you know, we can design individual uh, kind of in, engagement moments where the fair exchange of, of information is, is warranted. And you know, we can do it in many different ways, uh, different industries apply it differently. But one of the things I think you were, you were alluding to there is that there is all, there are all these kind of data points that we could gather and customers and prospects might be able to give us. But one of the things we probably need to start with is which type of data would matter to us, right? Because we don't want to just collect any, any sort of data. We have to hone in on what's going to matter to us and why, and then engage that and then design that uh, experience where that exchange happens. Is that, is that fair? Absolutely. All right, cool. Cool. All right. So we've talked a lot about the kind of the theory, where things are going, certain technologies, uh, designing some of the, 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 uh, experiences where we exchange data and there's value for both parties there. So let's get down a few, a little bit more practical approach. So if we, if we think about the listeners here, where, where should brands start? Sure, I can I can take this, Pete, and then you can jump in. Um, you know, I think first, you know, we've talked about how you know cookies are going away, and and it's potentially creating a real identity issue for brands. I think you just need to start by collecting that data or or augmenting that consumer data profile that you have and centralizing it. And as I had mentioned you know, promotions we find are really a quick, low barrier solution to get to market and start quickly creating that conversion and building up that data set. Um, but you can also drive business outcomes at the same time. Um, you know, again, I said it's a low barrier. So you already have, you know, owned and paid media out there. Give your consumers a reason to engage and convert. So, you know, Jose, first, what we do is, like you had mentioned, we understand the consumer behavior that the brand needs to drive um, to motivate certain KPIs, right? Is it a education on a new product or an incremental purpose purchase or acquisition? 
And then what do you want to learn from your consumer? Like what is the most important information? And then understand really what your consumer, what drives your consumer uh, with your brand. So, you know, then we pick a, a really a gamification mechanic if we're particularly talking about promotions. Is it a contest to involve them in your brand, an instant win, um, that type of thing? And then we apply that do get, what is the, the reward? It can be intrinsic, just a wonderful piece of content or VIP status or an extrinsic reward, which, which I mentioned is a, a prize or a guaranteed reward. Um, and then wrap it in that, that low barrier experience. Um, and, you know, we see this conversion, it, it's really effective. Um, just to give you some, some quick benchmarks, we see about 35 to 45% of people who participate in promotions opt in for future communications. Um, and they come back about three to five times. So that gives you an opportunity to ask a quick question every single time they come back and keep augmenting that, that profile. Um, we've also seen promotions uh, increase media response rates about 30 to 50 percent and um, also grow active loyalty memberships by about 10 to 30 percent. So, um, you know, it's a really quick tool. I think the most important thing is that you're doing something with that data and following up with that consumer as well. Um, but you're learning who they are, what their behaviors are what their needs are. So then you can start to tailor those, the, your messaging and those experiences to them. Cool. Thanks, Jen. PG, do you have anything to, to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think just to get into the plumbing a little bit more, I think one of the, you know, w what we've seen over the years as, as clients are starting to pull together all of their customer data, right? It's, it sits in a lot of different parts of their organization, right? It may sit in the, in the, Retail stores, it may, there may be e-commerce data, there may be uh, data that comes out of customer service. Uh, there's data on the, you know, that's created from all of the experiences on the on this website, um, you know, and and so there's all these different there's all this d data in different places. So pulling it together into a CDP, as as Jen said, is the first step. And then just there's the recognition that. That oh my gosh, to just to activate on that data, we've got all these different systems, right? For for uh, you know for direct mail, for media, for the site experience, for the for customer service, etc. Um, you know, so looking at that stack and understanding, okay, if if we want to create a better journey for our customers and we want to optimize that experience, how do we make sure we've got the our technology aligned so it can communicate with each other so that we're, we're able to activate on that data effectively so that we're doing our decisioning in a consistent way across the various customer experiences. That's, that's a, a big part of the journey that we're going on with a lot of our clients. That, that makes sense, Pete. And I think, you know, Jen, you, you certainly spoke about promotions and loyalty and kind of that kind of ecosystem. But I, I, what I also heard you say is, you know, what we've got the technology and the data components, but, it really comes down to planning that experience, right? So what do you want to have the customer prospect do? What's their mindset? You know, what are we enabling? What are we ca capturing? What are they, what's the transaction or what's the support experience? And having that 
mapped out before we go off and do uh, some of this work. So you've got to have the infrastructure in place, but then to make it real uh, for the customer, you've actually got to think about what's going to what's going to matter here and then test those things. Absolutely. And I think the most important thing from an experience side is that you're not just assaulting your customer with trying to get information, right? Yeah. It has to be this fun, fair value exchange for them. Yeah. And, and usually customers trying to get something done, right? In their mind, there's a job to be done. And so you have to, <laughs> you have to take that into consideration. So, um, okay. So, We've got where where brands should start, and we talked about the the data components, the technology components, thinking about the the specifics of the experience. Between you two, you know, what should brands avoid? Right. So, um, if we think about like years of experience, please don't do this or that, or you know, if you're going to do this, watch out. What are some examples you guys have? Um, well, I, I can start, and then I know Jen's got. Uh, probably a million she could add in. Um, look, I would say, f- first of all, you ha- you have to be careful. W- uh, to Jan's point, there's got to be a clear value exchange. You've got to give the customer some control over their data, and um, you know, o- over personal personalizing is is creepy, right? And so avoid being creepy. And I think, like you know, retargeting has been super effective, but it's also uh, annoying to customers, right? So you've got to balance that out as, as a brand. Um, I, I would say, uh, you know, similarly, one of the things as, as e-commerce experience have been standardized, there's a risk that you fall into this sea of sameness, right? And as a brand, you need to avoid that too, right? You've got to make sure you're bringing your unique brand voice and experience and personality to life on uh you know it, through every touch point um, and i think there that's that's definitely something to a big watch out for brands um that is part of the you know the movement towards headless commerce which is the the notion that you know you're leveraging kind of the best of e-commerce technology but also creating an experience that ultimately is unique to your brand and um and really drives that uh, the right the right brand connection with your customer Cool. So avoid the sea of sameness. <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Yeah. You know, parody is not good. Exactly. Jen, do you have any any uh, other kind of tidbits you want to impart? Sure. I think you know, just to add to what Pete said, I think it's about being authentic to your brand, and um, you know, from an experience standpoint, I can't tell you how many people have come to us saying they wanted to create the next Pokemon Go. You know, and so you don't just create experiences for experience sake, you know, make sure it's authentic to your brand voice and your mission. And really, you know, as Pete started this conversation with putting the customer first, I think if it comes off as too branded and corporate and not, um, you know, not individual to that consumer and what they need in that moment of interacting with your brand, it's going to fall flat. Um, You know, also, you know, looking at the cadence of how often you're communicating with someone, you know, we've all been subject to getting too many marketing messages from a certain brand or too many emails. So, um, you know, understand that consumer journey and where those key pivotal moments are um, where you can 
you know, create a behavior or create that conversion. Um, but, but it's not a one size fits all. And it's not, you know, like I said before, it's not pummeling them with messages and, and marketing um, tactics all the time. That, that, that makes sense. You, people don't want to be marketed to all day, every day. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one, one of the things that I would add here, which is really more about what to do, like this is based on my own personal experience. Um, I guess you could say it in a negative, but the, but the point is make sure that you have a plan around measuring the impact of the changes that you're making. All too often, I think we see companies that go off and invest in X, Y, or Z or build experiences, but don't have a measurement plan measurement plan in place. And I think that really um, is a disservice to getting further investment if you're not really kind of looking at how we're going to prove the value of these things. And so that, that's one of the things that I, I see happens a lot is people get excited about the creativity and all this sort of stuff. But to really get that that increased investment, we need to think about how we're going to show the value of these these experiences. Yeah, Jose, that's an awesome ad. If I can just <clears throat> build on that, you know, as Jen said at the top, part of what we're trying to do is help our clients to put digital at the core of their business, right? If if they've historically been running, you know, retail stores, uh, that continues to be important, but you need a digital and data backbone. And Part of that is, uh, you know, going forward is helping them then to build a culture of experimentation on top of that. And to your point, if you're going to have, you know, I, the ideal state that we've seen a lot of our, our clients get to is where they've got teams of people who are working in an agile way, um, attacking different opportunities, right? And and to do that, you need to be clear on on what you're measuring and what success looks like. It's a, it's a, a really important ad that you made. Cool. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I can't tell you how many times I've been in big projects where six months in, you know, a senior executive says, "Okay, what do we get for it?" And nobody has that quick win plan. Nobody has the measurement components. It's um, it's a must-have these days because so much investment is going toward this. Yeah, and I think you know you learn just as much from programs or initiatives that you put out that don't work as those that you learn from that are successful and engaging. So, you know, that helps shape that plan that you mentioned moving forward. So, you know, I think it's good to take a calculated risk and, and understand what your, your audience is going to react to. Yeah, I, I agree completely. So, all right. Uh, we've, we've been speaking with Pete Stein and Jen Gray about the future of digital experience. We've, we've learned a lot. We've talked about the future of digital experience. We've talked about virtual augmented reality and machine learning and artificial intelligence and voice. We've talked about data capture uh, and social commerce. You know, I, I think this has been a really great podcast. Jen or Pete, do you guys have any uh, final words or closing thoughts? Sure. I'll, I'll jump in first. I, you know, thanks for having us on Jose. This has been really fun. Um, look, I, I, I think for me, this is such an exciting time. Um, and, and such a cool, I'm, I'm glad you had, you know, Jen and I on because I think it's that combination of, you know, strategy and data thinking and creativity together. That is such a massive opportunity. And it's, it's hard to get all 
three of those right, right? You need the strategy to make sure you're focused on the problems that are going to give the business impact. You need the facility with data and tech to enable um, you know, the, the problem solving. And then you need the creativity to really think beyond today and what's possible. Um, and, and I think that's, the, that's what's so exciting about this moment in time. That's great. Jen, anything to add? Yeah, I would just say, you know, to, to echo what Pete said, get out there and try things and experiment, um, you know, understand who your consumers are and, um, and provide some great experiences for them, you know, be agile, we have to move and change very rapidly in this environment. So, so take a chance and, um, and get out there and have some fun with your consumers. Great. Pete and Jen, I want to thank you once again. Uh, this concludes our episode of Inside Job, Making CX Work. Thank you very much. And I look forward to uh, speaking with you again. Thanks a lot. 